0: Where we broadcast our pirate signaler back into the Matrix. EscapingTheCave.com, also on the ChristopherMedia.net network. Thank you, com- comrades. Lock, I got him. Now. <laughs> Howdy, Tanzilla Files, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave, the Tanzilla X Pod. ChristopherMedia.net, escapingthecave.com, at fuck Twitter. Take the ad off there you'll get the message hi there happy October it is October 1st 2019 early morning hours back to my night schedule i vary. how's your week <laughs> this feels like Groundhog Day man it feels like we just went through this and not so long ago I told some friends earlier today that uh, I made the mistake of stepping into a steaming pile of political Twitter this evening. And it's like the Democrats, the liberals, however you want to define yourselves, you have these like four-hour erections that need treatment. We got Trump this time, there's no way he's going to make it to 2020. We got him. Oh, we're so excited. We finally got him. Ding dong, the Trump is dead. We have been through this before, haven't we? Haven't we? Not so long ago. You remember when Jan Brady Maddow was sitting there saying, Russia, 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 not very long ago. And you were so sure that you had him back then as well. We're right back there again. The media coverage is incessant, depending on what you're listening to and what channel you are tuned to. You're in different fucking universes, man. There's no commonality of any kind between CNN and MSNBC, that little liberal conglomerate, and Fox News. We've been here. This feels an awful lot like it did Maybe, what, a year ago, year and a half ago? (sighs) Oops. Slamming my microphone. So frustrated. And the bottom line is this. I'm not even going to bother with an intro today. Usually I talk about something else before I move off into something else. No, this is it. We have started the show. (laughs) And the simple fact of the matter is is that all you folks over there on uh, liberal Twitter jumping up and down in glee and enjoy that you've captured the evil interloper who's invaded the White House, you got him this time, grr. You're forgetting a very important thing. It's called the Senate. You may have your your investigative orgy. You may be enjoying that right now, but the orgy in the House of Representatives at some point's got to end. And this is going to go to the Senate. And you remember Mitch McConnell, the guy that looks like a turtle over there. And you remember your big blue wave last year where you lost Senate seats. My ankles didn't even get wet in that blue wave. They are this week. I will give you some credit. You accomplished something. The investigative orgy, which you're bukakiing all over each other's face again this week. A little prematurely, I might add. Anyway, this has got to go to the Senate at some point. And as things sit right now, as things sit right now, you don't have a prayer in hell of removing him from the White House. That's how it has to go. And it's not even, I hope you understand that we're not talking about a simple majority. You don't just need a couple of people to come over to your side. You've got to have a two-thirds majority in the Senate in order to pull this off. That's 67 votes in the Senate. In order to have him removed, good luck. The investigation, all this stuff looks like crap. It looks terrible. Terrible. And Giuliani, and now Australia is involved in some sort of weird investigative shit that he's trying to find out about how the Mueller investigation got. Whatever. It looks bad. It looks terrible. I'm with you. The simple reality is this. You had better keep some tethering to pragmatic reality before you let yourself get all carried away. I'm going to have more on this here in a little bit. But this feels it feels like Groundhog Day, like we just went through all of this. We got him. I couldn't bring myself to watch MSNBC today. I think uh, Andrew Sullivan, I found out tonight, Andrew Sullivan, my guy, was on uh, one of the MSNBC programs this afternoon. I had no idea. That's how little I'm paying attention to the far-left media, trying to watch CNN. It's just an orgy, man. It's like a feeding frenzy. It's like sharks in the water. We finally got him. They've abandoned all pretense that they're not cheerleading, not pulling for a specific outcome. They're not even trying anymore. Which of course, feeds the narrative put forth by Fox and uh, Trump. Fake news, fake news, fake news. It looks like fake news, man. It looks like biased media. They are targeting an audience. They're targeting a specific mindset. They're targeting a specific uh, subset of people who have an emotional investment in a certain outcome. This is the free press now. Is there any wonder at the citizenry, if this is the enlightened citizenry? Oh, boy. The script is pretty much written, I think, uh, for 2020. It's going to be an electoral shit show. Non-stop political commercial. Now, look, I'm not necessarily saying, again, I I need to reiterate this. I'm interested in this investigation. It looks damning. I don't care about the legality of it. This is a political process. It's not a legal process. There's not a legal standard that has to be uh, met here. High crimes and misdemeanors is subjective. You don't need an indictment. You don't need a legal indictment. You don't need a grand jury to say, oh, my God, we have evidence. Here you go. You can indict. You can go impeach. They can impeach the guy if they want to fucking impeach the guy. And they take it up. They want to draft articles of impeachment. They can do it. They already have enough if they choose to do so. And if it passes, you know, it gets through the process. Then it goes to the Senate. Then it's a whole new ball game. Those folks over there. So I'm not necessarily saying that this is 100% the reason, but it's worth remembering how after 2016, all of us were asking, you know, how much free advertising the cable news networks provided Donald Trump with their constant coverage. Wall-to-wall coverage almost each and every day throughout the election season because he was so controversial. He was so out of the ordinary. CNN couldn't keep their hands off of him. Neither could MSNBC. And that turned into free political advertising. His message was everywhere throughout the 2016 election season. How much was that worth? We asked this question. I asked it. How much do you suppose months and months and months of nonstop impeachment coverage is going to be worth to the Democrats next year? After three years now... He's been in office three years. Everything that's happened, they could have impeached him at any time if they had enough. And this is the thing? Now this? After Mueller, after all that, they could have impeached after the Mueller investigation ended. And they didn't. They chose not to. So after three years, this is the thing that sort of triggers the righteous idealism. You wait until 13 months to even begin preliminary hearings? Am I supposed to believe that this is 100% coincidental? Is anybody supposed to believe that? I mean, exploiting media saturation the same way Trump did in 2016, as we move toward the new year, as we move to actually edging into 2020, the political message... The Antichrist in the Oval Office is going to be everywhere. Fox News, MSNBC, it's all going to be there. They do not have to purchase one minute of political advertising to have this message everywhere, the same way that Trump exploited the media back in 2016. Political messaging will be everywhere with the Manchurian populace, you guys picking up and mimicking their team's propaganda, their cult's propaganda, their congregation's scripture, and all the techniques included with it. The message will be picked up. The propaganda techniques will be picked up. Now, is this cynical? Of course it's cynical. Of course it's fucking cynical. You've got to be blind, drunk, masochistic, or simply a drooling fool not to embrace a healthy bipartisan, bipartisan, bipartisan cynicism today. you got to be an idiot, not to be cynical. Of both sides of this, both teams, both churches. Now, there are two competing and mutually exclusive narratives at play here, each followed, it seems, by half of the country. One half of it's gobbling this shit up. The other half is gobbling this other stuff up. It's matter and antimatter. But both narratives employ and exploit simple, basic facts. Simple and basic facts. And this is what makes the current events man, you know, the CNN, Fox, Twitter, and Facebook addict, makes him knowledgeable. He can pull up facts like, I don't know, like an encyclopedia. Well, did you hear about what they said? Yeah, he can do that. He's able to recite one version of the story or the other with included and embedded facts, incidental facts. But rather than automatically arming this guy with critical thought, as he thinks it does, that collection of random disconnected data makes them more susceptible to suggestion, makes them susceptible to reinforcement and ideological and or emotional exploitation because they have been pre-exposed to the data virus. It's the data that's spun. It's the data that's used as propaganda. So the more you consume, the more of these, these data points you have in your mind, the more they have to work with. Do you understand this? Part of the uh, Lippman introduction I hope to get to one of these days <laughs> it speaks to how these ensuing pseudo-environments that are crafted by the information, the data, the spin, the worldview of choice, and your place in it, these ensuing pseudo-environments are crafted by selective and subjective data and information. And then, this is the important thing, they're acted upon in the real world. Now, in contemporary times, these pseudo-environments that Libman talked about in 1922, they are Matrix avatars, social media avatars, virtual avatars, social media characters who are leaving the online echo chambers, being brought from the virtual world out into the desert of the real, and set loose. Online avatars seem superhuman, don't they? When you go online, people feel they're invincible. They can metaphorically leap from building to building, rhetorically vanquishing all foes near and far. Oh, I smart thee with my words and my wisdom and my wittiness. (laughs) Guilty. The online projection of the virtual self, man. What you want people to think you are. What you are in your head if you could craft it out of thin air. The online projection of the virtual self full of the self-certainty of the intoxicating moral certitude that always accompanies the inseminated Word of God. Mm. These characters are something like the HBO version of Arya Stark, an invincible character hatched in the digital echo chamber world where all the acceptable delusions, acceptable ones, are supported and reinforced by a friendly mob. Friendly mob ready to gang up and and pounce and attack and crush all interlopers who presume to invade the Echo Chamber territory. Here's the thing, man. You never saw Neo, let alone Keanu Reeves, right? Trying to leap from building to building outside of the Matrix because he would have splattered himself on the pavement. You never see Maisie Williams. Is that her name? Is that Arya starring I think that's her name. Maisie, you never see her actually cage fighting, do you? No, because when you go out on the street in character, try to use your fictitious superpowers on real people in the real world, reality, reality intervenes. (laughs) Needle, your little weapon, it gets taken away right away, doesn't it? And while you're bleeding on the sidewalk, you quickly see that your visions of superhuman immortality and righteous invincibility Or only that. Cheap imaginary visions that only work in a virtual fantasy world. Alright, Neo was a badass inside the virtual reality of a computer program. Alright. Aboard the Nebuchadnezzar, however, he was vulnerable to actual human reality. How do you think he would have done in a fight against Dozer? Or Tank? Either one. In the Matrix, he's a a god. (sighs) These are pseudo-environments, man. Imaginary grand designs, they're normal, they're universal, they're part of an evolutionary function to make tentative sense out of a hopelessly complicated, bewildering world. We all do it to some degree or another, but these digital projections, digital projections of our imaginary selves, these are new. They really are. combination of these two imaginary concoctions are today's personalized matrix Constructs. As we go back to the movie metaphor, these are literally the modern version of pseudo-environments, but complete with ongoing massive updates, thanks to the platforms, the reach, and the influence. Their internal narratives, yeah, but a kind that I think Walter Lippmann would find unrecognizable. In the almost 100 years since Lippmann wrote about them, and particularly in the last 15 to 20 years with the advent of social media's, I guess, ability to construct our very own virtual reality world online, they've exploded in both personal significance and, 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 more importantly, in how they impact reality. The real organic world, these matrix constructs, they're actually the alternate factual universes we like to talk about. The ones that are rotting us from within. They only exist in the mind, like Schwarzenegger, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger had these implanted delusions in the movie Total Recall, right? But as Lippmann pointed out, they are imaginary. They are existing only in the mind. But they're acted upon in the real world. That is a similarity back to 1922. They were acted upon back in the real world back then but our ability to act on these things in the real world or affecting how other people react and act upon these things in the real world has has expanded and exploded in the last 98 years we're seeing the effects of this every single day more and more every single week now these these virtual realities are toxifying the organic world Lipman wrote about chaotic internal narratives, uh, before mass media had really set in. I mean, radio was around then, but it wasn't really radio just yet. And he spoke to how the individual concocted his own pseudo-environment, maybe in isolation, maybe in a little group like at the Elks Lodge or something like that, or church. But he also saw how radio could exploit and craft that into something useful like a resource. Edward Bernays took those ideas, applied them to advertising. Neither one of these two, I don't think, could possibly conceive of the power of the Internet and how that could be exploited by the egocentric self and the propagandists who've had another hundred years of knowledge and sophistication to develop. The difference, of course, is that thanks to mass media and the Internet, we have the virtually identical but but mutually exclusive delusions planted into a hundred million people. Competing worldviews with them, of course, in the position of the chosen ones who were there to vanquish the opponent, the evil opponent, who possess, oh my God, the sacrilegious internal narrative over there. Here we are, a hundred years later, in the pseudo-environment-slash-internal-narrative-slash-personal-truth Principles still apply. They still apply. But these are the basic sort of elemental physics of how group psychology and mob mentality applies and then fuses with mass media. This is the creation of a mob, a physically disconnected yet psychologically fused mob. You don't have to gather together in an arena to be part of a mob. They figured this out a long, long time ago as you sit there and you mock Trump bots at Trump rallies and how they look crazed and they're just nutty. They're just in the same place. If you could put a camera in about 30,000 Rachel Meadow viewers' homes and sort of watch them all at the same time, I wonder what they would look like. I wonder how similar they would look. Of course, they wouldn't be, you know, ah, yay, clapping along and laughing along with the speech, sure. There is an element to being there physically. But psychologically, no. There's not much difference between those people gathered in Nuremberg and the people gathered around a Sean Hannity program in the, in the comfort and isolation of their own homes on their own couches. Thing is, when acted upon in the real world, these personalized internal realities, personal realities, become matter and antimatter. The matter and antimatter of personal truths Internal truths as opposed to external ones. You know, maybe we're going to see a new show on Fox next fall. This would be great. When personal realities collide. Wouldn't that be fun? Ooh, yes, I'd watch that. I'd DVR that every week. Maybe in the season finale, we'll see how checks, balances, and institutions based on the naive assumption that the participants are interested, you know, in external facts rather than playing the role of Emerson's retained attorney whose sole job it is ah, to defend the client at all costs, to g- defend the position at all costs, with all rhetorical fuckery he can he can utilize, rather than just finding you know, the fucking truth. To continue that metaphor, we've become a nation of Saul Goodman's and Johnny fucking Cochran's. That's it. Was that your childhood dream to be Saul Goodman or Johnny Cochran? Congratulations if it was. I would have suggested aiming higher, but hey, to each their own. Therefore, my friends, the 2020 script has been written. It's been submitted. It's been approved. It's in production now. No matter what happens, results essentially going to be the same. The only thing that's left is how we're going to cast. The spin-off rolls, and that depends, basically on what happens. That's the only thing that's dependent upon current events is who's going to play what role after the impeachment process plays itself out and then again after the election. Two key episodes. Does that your DVR for? Is the week of the inevitable Senate acquittal. Almost inevitable. There's a path, a, a slight path. I'll get to that later. But it's an almost inevitable Senate acquittal at this point today, October 1st, 2019. So set your DVR for that week. And then set it, a, obviously, for November 4th, the day after the election next year. And in the meantime, uh, enjoy the political and. Uh, Cable news reality shows, man. Have fun arguing about who's Superman and who's Lex Luthor. Uh-uh, he's Superman. Uh-uh, she's Supergirl. She's going to bring her powers of socialism and free health care in. She's going to swoop down and vanquish Lex Luthor and save the world. Yay, Lizzie. Meanwhile, on the other side, well, Superman's orange. He should be called Orange Man. Whoosh swooping down and draining the swamp with his powers his superhuman powers of (laughs) (laughs) anti-corruption I kid a little maybe how much am I really kidding how sarcastic am I really being here Donald fucking Trump you know I've been talking about this I've mentioned a couple of a couple of times in the last few days there's these paintings and I'm sure I think Obama had them too maybe I know George Bush did of, uh, like, Donald Trump on the boat paddling across the Potomac back in the Revolution like he was saving the country. I've also seen one. I swear to fucking God, I'm not making this up. I've also seen one of Donald fucking Trump sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper. (sighs) Uh Uh-huh. And you think my Superman metaphor, my Superman example, sarcasm. (laughs) Yeah. Have fun arguing about who's Superman, who's Lex Luthor. Most importantly, though, be sure to drink your Ovaltine or grab your Viagra. Ooh, maybe some Bud Light. I think you're still hawking gold over there on Fox News. Might want to get some of that, too. sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's an orange aberration! no, it's Super Trump, able to drain large swamps with a flick of his daycare, Super Trump, here to save the world from evil, the evils of socialism, it's Super Trump, what's that, flying over the hill, <gasps> It's Super Lizzie! Free health care for all! She'll get money out of politics, no doubt about it. There's no money in politics at Krypton. Or in Massachusetts. Wait, what? Super Lizzie! Escape of the Cave podcast, ChristopherMedia dot net, Escape of the Cave and fuck Twitter. Do, do, do. Just kind of gets me motivated. I'm ready to change the world with my podcast now. Maybe it's a con- conditioned response. Am I taking action, Mister Alul? Oh wait, I made it down too quick. Now I feel naked. Hi there. Thanks for clicking in. Anyway, I was talking about what's going to happen with the election next year. Okay. So we pretty much laid out what's going to happen. And I said before that we know how this is going to go. What we don't know, who's going to be cast in what role. All right. Following the almost inevitable acquittal in the Senate and then after the election next year. So what's going on here with this... These sort of competing narrative mobs put forth by both sides of the media dialectic. Okay. Over on Fox News, this is a big conspiracy, a big socialist conspiracy. They're trying to overturn the Democratic election of 2016. That's all this has always been about for those folks over at Fox News. Okay. Meanwhile, at MSNBC, Trump's the Antichrist. Everything he does is nefarious. He's always been in cahoots with the Russians. He's always been trying to tear America down. He's a traitor. He's working for foreign governments, peeing on hookers, all sorts of things. Wait, no. Were the hookers peeing on him, or was he peeing on the hookers? Either way, urine was flowing to someone's body at some point. I want you to think about this. How half the country's here, the other half is here. And all the while, they're being conditioned to hate each other. This is agitation. I've talked about this a little bit. I have talked about this a little bit, and it's just been ratcheted up to 12. It may have been on 11 before. Now it's on 12 or 13 after this week. So there's something that's going to happen. You have a fanatical erection. You're going to have to fuck something with that erection eventually. That's what I'm talking about With as far as these roles being cast next year. Which role you're going to play depends on how events transpire. Either with the uh, Senate trial, the almost inevitable Senate, as I said, the Senate acquittal. I hope I didn't say conviction earlier, but the almost inevitable Senate acquittal coming uh, next year is going to leave. Our blue-balled liberal friends standing out with their engorged dick in the wind needing to hump something. They're not getting their impeachment happy ending. Something's got to happen. they got to do something with that. And then imagine they don't get their impeachment. And this entire process, after it ends in a Senate acquittal, an almost certain Senate acquittal, The election takes place next November 3rd, and Trump's re-elected. After everything that's happened, over the course of the last three years, it'll be four years by then, after everything that's happened, Mueller, Ukraine, all of it, you don't get your impeachment, and you're turned away again during the election. That anger, that frustration, that ongoing agitation is going to need an outlet next year. Let's play the other side of the coin now. You've been being told for three to four years that the Democrats are trying to overturn a legitimate election. That everything you've seen over the last three or four years has been an attempt, attempt after attempt after attempt at a soft coup. Let's pretend for a moment Mitch McConnell and the rest of the Senate, maybe they're responding to poll numbers. I don't know how they would get there. I've seen no indication yet, but maybe they will. Maybe at some point next year, they decide, yes, Donald Trump is a corrupt bitch. He must go. Let's vote along with the Democrats and impeach him. Welcome to the Oval Office to Mike Pence. Right? After being riled up and lathered up for three years, having what you view as a soft coup actually take place, what in what is going to happen to you? First thing you're going to do <laughs> is you're going to primary everybody that voted to convict Trump in the Senate. They're gone. Their careers are over. Whatever replaces them is gonna make this crop of Senate Republicans look like teetotalers. That doesn't even count the election. That doesn't count anything to do with Pence. That doesn't none of that's even being factored in. What the Senate is gonna look like after next fall. And definitely after the midterms in what, 22? You think this is extreme? Oh, yeah. All right, so this is what I'm saying. We know the script. We know that this is going to be an ongoing impeachment infomercial for the Democrat Party moving toward the election. We know that. It's already laid itself out. It cannot help but go in that direction. So depending on the events, depending on how things play themselves out, that will depend on how the roles are cast as we move through 2020. And none of them are good. And none of them are good. I'm sorry to say there is too much agitation, too much hatred being generated as the stakes and the sensationalism are raised ever higher each and every week. All you have to do. If you want to figure out where it's coming from, is go step in a steaming pile of Twitter or turn on any one of the cable news networks. Depending on which point of view they're choosing to appeal to for their advertiser's sake, whichever one, it doesn't matter. You You can feel, you can palpably feel and taste the hatred being generated toward the other half of the country. I have talked about agitation propaganda and the effects of that, why it's used multiple times on this podcast. If you haven't listened to that, I suggest you go back and listen to those. They're pretty important. It's the it's the propaganda of revolution and insurgency. It's designed to destabilize a country. You can utilize agitation propaganda without having any sort of a goal in mind beyond agitation, beyond destabilization within the enemy's borders. That can be the goal in and of itself. And if you're looking around, you look at our institutions now. Look at the state of our institutions. Look at the state of our Senate, our Congress. How nothing can possibly get done. I think somebody... If you're putting your tinfoil hat on, is it really tinfoilism? Somebody's done a pretty good job. Don't you think? Are we stable now? Are we a stable country? Are we not at each other's throats now? Destabilization can be the goal. It paralyzes a country from within. It plants a tumor right near the heart of a population and if it's done well, or you've got a population lobotomized by self righteousness and political faithfulness enough to gobble every piece of agitation up, you don't have to fire a shot. It's perfect. You combine that with the technology, this ununderstood, this, this technology that nobody has any inkling of how it affects people. You have a population that doesn't understand its own psychology because you're you're dealing with people who, <laughs> Jesus Christ, are actually embracing blank slatism. There is no human nature. <laughs> no human nature at all. <sighs> oh, we can write anything we want upon people's brains then, because they're blank. If you believe that there is no human nature, you don't believe you your human nature can be exploited. Oh, goody! I have more. I didn't find this. I didn't intend to go this way today. I had other. I have other plans for this podcast. I don't want to keep talking about Trump, but. This is uh, by Gustav Laban. You see, it's funny. I have a lot of books. I read a lot. I ordered some books uh, a few months back, and one of those books was Gustav Laban's The Crowd. I've talked about that a lot. I'm going to do a whole series probably on it at some point, but I've forgotten that I got another one of his books I had never heard of. It's called The Psychology of Revolution by Gustav Laban. It's by, I don't even know what year this is. The people who publish this book, the only thing within its covers are the title, the author, and the text. There's nothing that says what year this was made. theres no, It's one of the weirdest things. It looks like somebody could have put this together in their garage. Anyway. I've just actually started. I haven't gotten too far into it, but oh, boy. Oh, Mr. Laban, I love thee. This guy was around around the turn of the last century, All right, around the 1900s. I mean, he's, he's he's not a contemporary, a modern psychologist or psychiatrist, but I I value the crowd almost immeasurably because it was groundbreaking and because it was influential. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I've got new listeners that Laban. Influenced Freud. Freud's work on mass and group psychology influenced Hitler and helped him turn Germany into what he turned it into in the 1930s. He found that book in Lansdowne Prison came out educated in how to manipulate a mob, how to manipulate mass psychology. Gustav Le Bon was sort of the founding father of that. I have read a good portion of the crowd. It's... Frightening, And from what I've read of this book, The Psychology of Revolution, it's going to have pretty much the same effect on me. I'm going to read just a little bit of it for you today. It's not going to be anything like what I've done before, I promise. I'm not going to spend 45 minutes on this. But to give you an example, in Chapter 1, individual variations of character in time of revolution. He does this entire psychological breakdown of people and governments during a time of revolt and revolution. This was before even the Russian Revolution. Uh, later on, and maybe, what, 10 or 15 years? I, I don't know what year this was written because it's not in the goddamn book, and I didn't Google it. But anyway, one of the first things he says in this section is that uh, the terror. Now, he, he uses the uh, French Revolution as his primary example. He's a French author. you know. He uses his own history, his own country's examples for most of this. And he says, thus it is during the Terror And we see honest bourgeois and peaceful magistrates who were noted for their kindness turned into bloodthirsty fanatics. I've talked about this before. In uh, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, one of the things they talked about was how ordinary, fine, upstanding community men with children who were loved and adored by people in their community could work at Auschwitz. They become something else when they're sort of in the grasp of group fanaticism. We're seeing this at play in this country today. I'm telling you, people becoming something else by the power of this deep, obsessive fanaticism, political, ideological fanaticism, either for this or this vile hatred for that. You decide which direction I'm pointing at there. It doesn't matter. The shit's at play both ways. You become something else. When you're in the power, when you're in the grasp of that kind of hatred and that kind of fanaticism, go look in the eyes of a child picketing a funeral with Westboro Baptist Church. Go look in the eyes of a teenage boy or girl picketing that same funeral. Take a gay person with you. That is fanaticism. That is hatred. And that is the thing that terrifies me the most about this. And this is triggered. Agitation propaganda. Agitation. Its goal is to trigger and exploit hatred. Hatred within. That is a primal human emotion. That is a primal human force. It's not just an emotion. It's a force. And once that's unleashed, we start scraping away the thin veneer of civilization that the guy from Vietnam was talking about, that that Vietnam uh, army officer was talking about he saw his troops. What happened to his own troops when that thin veneer of civilization starts to be scraped away? Atrocities follow. The barbarian comes out. The barbarian jumps loose. The ape. The barely domesticated ape. It gets free. And begins to rampage. There's more here. Hmm. Hatred. He's got a whole section on this, just like Alul did. I'll just start from the beginning here. There's not much, don't worry. But the hatred of persons, institutions, and things which animated the men of the revolution is one of these uh, effective phenomena which are more striking the more one studies their psychology. He's talking about the French Revolution here, and he says, They detested not only their enemies, but the members of their own party. If one were to accept the judgments which they expressed of one another, this is fascinating, we should have to conclude that they were all traitors, they were all boasters, they were all incapable and corrupt, all assassins or tyrants. That was a quote he used. We know with what hatred, scarcely appeased by the death of their enemies... Men persecuted against these various people, including the Robespierreists. He continues on by saying that one of the cheap causes of this feeling resided in the fact that these furious sectarians, being apostles in possession of the absolute truth, were unable, like all believers, to tolerate the sight of infidels. This is important. A mystic or sentimental certitude is always accompanied by the need of forcing itself on others. It is never convinced and does not shrink from wholesale slaughter when it has the power to commit it. I asked you long ago, long ago, this is something that I have never gotten an answer to, Since we are evenly divided down the middle, and say your faction or your sect comes out victorious, what are you going to do with the other half of the country? Put that thought in your head for a moment, please. Laban continues by stating that if the hatreds that divided the men of the revolution, the French Revolution, had been of rational origin, they would not have lasted long. But, arising from effective and mystic factors... Men could neither forget nor forgive. Their sources being identical in the different parties, they manifested themselves on every hand with identical violence. He also says that the terror must not be considered simply as a means of defense, but as the general process of destruction to which triumphant believers have always treated their detested enemies. We were just talking about this a couple of hours ago, Matt. Stalinism. Let me repeat that. The general process of destruction to which triumphant Believers have always treated their detested enemies. What happens to the vanquished, O righteous one? Men who can put up with the greatest divergence of ideas cannot tolerate differences of belief. Do you believe in the external God of cosmic justice? Do you believe in the American mythology Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, individuality. Each man is his own destiny. Or do you believe? Do you believe in the power of collectivism? Which is it? Which do you believe? They're not beliefs. Why, these are are rock-solid truths, and I'm going to force them upon you to prove it. (sighs) Oh, there's more. And this is the line that really stuck out in my head. In religious or political warfare, the vanquished can hope for no quarter. What do you do with the vanquished? Hmm. The hatreds of the revolution did not arise entirely from divergence of belief. He continues, other sentiments, envy, ambition, and (laughs) self-love. Oh, Gustav, I love you envy, ambition, and self-love. Hmm, would that be narcissism? (laughs) Also engendered these hatreds. He continues by saying that we can conceive of the vast importance of hatred as a factor in our history, and manipulating that hatred as well. He says that there was absolutely a good deal of talk of fraternity at the time of the Revolution, and there is even more in the day that he was writing this around the turn of the century. Pacifism, humanitarianism, and solidarity, he says, had become catchwords of the advanced parties over 100 years ago. But we know how profound are the hatreds concealed beneath these terms. Pacifism, humanitarianism, and solidarity and what dangers overhang our modern society. This was written before World War I. This was written before the Russian Revolution, World War II, long before any of this. He's talking about the hatreds concealed beneath these terms and what dangers overhang modern society. The man has a lot of credibility. Now, I know that if you were going to study psychology and you were going to study group, the group mind, in 2019, most people probably wouldn't go back to this guy. They'd say, oh, there's more stuff there. There's more stuff out there. There's better, more, you know, recent material than Gustav Le Bon. But let me touch on a little bit of this and see if it, uh, see if it rings true to you. He moves on. He, he, he starts talking about the psychology of revolutionary crowds. Now, this, I do believe, was written after he had published The Crowd. Because in here, he says that although I have studied collective psychology at length, in another volume, I must here recall its principal laws. And this is really neat because it's got the basics sort of just laid out over the course of maybe a page and a half. The principal laws of group in my, group psychology, as he saw it anyway. He says, man is part of a multitude, is a very different being from the same man as an isolated individual. His conscious individuality vanishes in the unconscious personality of the crowd. He becomes a zombie, a zombie organism, a cell within part of a larger organism. Material contact is not absolutely necessary to produce in the individual the mentality of the crowd. Let's rewind real quick. Maybe I mentioned this earlier. Material contact, that's direct contact. That's physical contact. Being there in person, together in person, is not... Absolutely necessary to produce in the individual the mentality of the crowd. A group mind, a mentality, common passions, and sentiments provoked by certain events are often sufficient to create it. Gee, you think? Huh. Collective mind momentarily formed represents a very special kind of aggregate. Entirely dominated by unconscious elements. Unconscious elements. Oh, I'm thinking. I'm thinking rationally. Oh, critical thinker. Unconscious elements. It is subject to a peculiar collective logic. You could probably tie this in 15, 20 different places to what Jacques Llewell wrote what I put in this podcast series over the last couple of months. Among the other characteristic of crowds, we must note their infinite credulity. They're dumb. And exaggerated sensibility, also their short sightedness, their incapacity to respond to the influences of reason. <laughs> yeah. The switch is internal. The switch is internal. Oy vey. Affirmation, contagion, repetition, and prestige. That's significant. Prestige constitute almost the only means of persuading them. Reality and experience have no effect upon them. The multitude will admit anything. The multitude will admit anything. Nothing is impossible in the eyes of the crowd. This part about prestige, that's power. That's influence. When you're part of a group, when you're part of a mob, the strong man appeals to you that's prestige that's power he gets into this he he moves on uh, i think there are other parts in this book that talks about how uh, every mob every group needs a strong leader it cannot lead itself it has got to be guided if you are part of a group if you are part of a mob you're being led by someone mobs don't lead themselves Collective conscious It's sort of a myth if you think about it. Collective consciousness, it's guided consciousness. You look at these Trump rallies, are those Trump rallies, are they undulating by themselves? Are they undulating because Mr. Trump is leading them in the undulation? Nuremberg, think back to Nuremberg. We've all seen these videos, right, of these pictures of the Nuremberg rallies back in the, 1940s, 30s, and 40s. I've been to that stadium, incidentally. Good story there. I'll tell it some other time. But who was leading that? Who was in charge of that meeting? Were they just behaving autonomously? Of course not. They're being orchestrated. If you're part of a crowd, if you're part of a mob, you may think that you're acting individually. You are being led by someone. And the stronger the leader... Stronger the demagogue, even a localized demagogue, the stronger that leader, the more dangerous, the more credulous the mob. Mobs are stupid. They're dumb. I'm going to continue on a little bit. I'm kind of riffing here. This is being improvised. I didn't intend to do this much of it, but I really have been wanting to get to mob psychology for a really long time, like a couple of years. By reason of the extreme sensibilities of crowds, I think that's emotionalists. Their sentiments, emotions, good or bad, are always exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to think in terms of our social media mobs now, our Twitter mobs. Now, pick a side, it doesn't matter. I want you to think in terms of the people that you know who belong to one of these ideological churches Who believe this strongly, believe that strongly, think a woke flake or a Trump bot. All right? By reason of the extreme sensibility of crowds, their sentiments, their emotions, good or bad, good or bad, are always exaggerated. This exaggeration increases still further in times of revolution. The least excitement will then lead the multitude to act with the utmost fury. Oh my God, Wayfair is selling these people furniture. We must boycott them. We must, oh my God, they must be cancelled. Apply it, Will. Here, everything's turned up to 11. I think we've heard that said a number of times. The utmost fury. Their credulity, their ignorance, their stupidity, so great, even in the normal state, is still further increased. The most improbable statements, the most improbable statements are accepted. You're stupid. They're stupid. They're dumb. They're gullible. They're willfully ignorant. They're willfully gullible. He talks about a guy named Arthur Young relating that when he visited the, the springs near Clermont at the time of the French Revolution, his guide was stopped by the people who were persuaded that he had come by order of the Queen to mine and blow up their town. <laughs> Most horrible tales concerning the royal family were circulated, depicting it, the royal family, as a nest of ghouls and vampires. Sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. He continues on by saying these various characteristics show that uh, the man in the crowd descends to a very low degree in the scale of civilization. He becomes a savage, a barbarian, with all the savage and barbarian's faults and qualities, with all his momentary violence, enthusiasm, and, and, interestingly, heroism. In the intellectual domain, a crowd is always inferior to the isolated unit. In the moral and sentimental domain, this is really interesting to me. I need to read more about this. But he says in the moral and sentimental domain, it may be the individual's superior. It runs to both extremes of the spectrum, the good and the bad. Like the individual, you think about somebody in warfare, somebody who's part of a group, part of a a band of brothers, the heroism. That comes with that. We've heard that a million times. It's the same psychology. Would an individual who was not part of that group, would he engage in the same acts of heroism? This is really interesting to me. It's not really fitting my generalized, simplistic narrative, and I don't like that. <laughs> but I need to find out more about this. I'll read it again. The moral and sentimental domain, the crowd may be the individual's superior. But he says a crowd will commit a crime as readily as an act of heroism. Personal characteristics. They vanish within the crowd, which exerts an extraordinary influence upon the individuals which form it. The miser becomes generous, the skeptic a believer, the honest man a criminal, the coward a hero. Examples of such transformations abounded, he said during the Great Revolution in France. One of the most notable consequences of the influence of a collectivity upon the individual who comprises it is the unification of their sentiments and their wills. This psychological unity confers a remarkable force upon crowds. The formation of such a mental unity results chiefly from the fact that in a crowd, gestures and actions are extremely contagious. Gestures and actions are extremely contagious. Hmm. I wonder if you could apply phraseology to that. Nazis, Nazis! Acclamations of hatred, fury, or love are immediately approved and repeated. Mimicked. Acclamations of hatred, fury, or love are immediately approved and then repeated. Remember that video you sent me the other day, Matt? The monkeys? Acclamations of hatred, fury, or love are immediately approved and then repeated. <laughs> You're monkey, monkey, monkey. All right, last part I'm going to read here is he, he asks, uh, what is the origin of these common sentiments, this common will? says they're propagated by contagion. They're contagious. But a point of departure is necessary before the contagion can take effect. Without a leader, without a leader incapable of action. Every crowd, every mob needs a leader, needs a ringleader. So that's an introduction to LeBon's mob mentality. I intended only to do the hatred part of this. Oops, I'm improvising. I'm riffing here, right? But this is what we're unleashing here, the hatred stuff. When we start talking about in political and uh, religious warfare, the vanquished can hope for no quarter. Furious sectarians being apostles in possession of absolute truth are unable, like all believers, to tolerate the sight of an infidel. Mystic or sentimental certitude, certitude, moral certitude, is always accompanied by the need of forcing itself on others, is never convinced it does not shrink from wholesale slaughter when it has the power to commit it. That's the hatred. That is what is being unleashed by agitation propaganda, and we are getting it. We are getting this agitation. Regardless of where you reside on the political spectrum, you are being hit with it on a daily basis. The only way you can avoid this is to unplug everything. Good luck with that. And this is what terrifies me about next year. When I say that the script for 2020 has been written, I'm not trying to be a prophet. I'm not trying to reprise my Todd Stradamus role here and impress you with my foresight. It terrifies me because because it seems that no matter what happens, there's going to be a significant group of people, the half of the country, whose agitation and rage isn't satisfied is going to be pushed just a little bit further, a little bit further, based on and provoked by these mutually exclusive narratives that we have been immersed in now for, oh, well, over three years, but really, really hard over the last three. And especially, we've seen it ratcheted up again this week. I mean, the, 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 the very short time, that I spent with my foot sort of pressed into that steaming pile of Twitter today I there was it was uh, uh, sorry but it was astounding it was like these people had never experienced this sort of of thing before, especially like not a year and a half ago, we finally got him. It was like, oh, my God, their team won the World Series. It was, it was I don't know, up three games to none with a 7-0 lead in the bottom of the ninth inning of Game 4. It was troubling. That's the word I'm looking for. How gleeful they were about this. Despite the fact, and excited about it, hopeful, Despite the fact that there's a numbers problem there. We got him. There's no way he's going to make it to the election now. Really? Really? Well, how are you going to react if he does? What if your hopes are dashed again? And then you lose the election. Again, And on the flip side, (laughs) what if he is impeached after being told for three years that it's a soft coup trying to overturn the will of the people? A socialist conspiracy. A Democrat conspiracy to overturn the will of the people. Egged on for three years now. What if that actually happens? What if in their eyes that actually takes place? Then what? What do you do with that rage? What do you do with that anger? Again, do you think they're just going to accept it? Do you think either one of these camps, either one of these agitated camps are just going to sit down? Okay, you win. I'm sorry. Really? Are they going to ratchet their game up a little bit more? We're about a year away, I think, from the point of no return here. This cannot help but escalate. I don't really care who's to blame. I I focus a lot on the propaganda. I focus a lot on the media. And I'm going to start focusing on you and I. This need for propaganda that I keep talking about. I've, I've alluded to it, the internal narrative. The pseudo-environment, we need to have things explained for us. That really is basically it in a nutshell. We will cling to anything that explains the unexplainable for us with us at the center of the universe. That is a mechanism that can be exploited by people who understand it better than we understand ourselves. That is the propagandist. That is Walter Libman. And that is uh, Edward Bernays. Joseph Goebbels and whoever the fuck is running CNN and Fox today, or who are in charge of the public relations department at your friendly neighborhood political organization. But if you don't understand yourself and you don't understand how you can be exploited, you are a sitting duck. You are a sitting duck. And that's us. I've been suggesting for a long time that you go listen or go watch the A Century of the Self stuff. It was put together a long time ago. It's not new material. It gives you a really good background on Edward Bernays, but it also uh, explains how narcissism was turned into a profit mechanism, a way to sell things, both products and politics and ideas. Uh, We've been catered. We have been, oh, you're so good. You're so, you're a good widow boy. Nobody's had the ball. Why would they? They're all trying to sell you something. So why would they tell you the truth rather than tell you what you want to hear, what you demand to hear? Now we've got how many fucking products do we have? How many channels do we have delivering a product on every cable system in the country, every satellite system? How many websites do you have to choose from now where you can find the happy thoughts that you demand that will not challenge what you think you know. Including what you think you know about yourself and how you think. Nobody does that. Nobody can do it. They're all afraid. They're, well, they're afraid of the reaction because they want your money. They want your dollar. You know, when I go to Mexico, been down there a number of times, I may have told you. <laughs> and the first couple of times that I went down there, I thought everybody loved me, man. I thought I was witty. They must really, I must look like a friendly gringo because they're so nice to me. Oh, I love these Mexicans. They're so awesome. Wow. They're really glad I'm here. They, I must have a sunshiny aura about me. they wanted my money. Once I figured that out, once I figured out that to most of these folks, not all of them, and I'm not going to generalize everybody, but if you're walking through the streets of, say, Cancun (laughs) or Puerto Escondido, and everybody you're seeing is smiling at you, Striking up a conversation with you while they happen to have a product right there that they would love for you to purchase and take home as a souvenir. Huh. <laughs> I fancy myself a smart guy sometimes. I'm not so much. It took me a long time to figure that out. But your media... Just about everything, just about everything you interact with on a daily basis outside of your family and maybe your boss, I don't know, maybe even your boss is in this category too. I haven't really thought about it just riffing, but everybody, every, everything you are in contact with on a daily basis, almost each and every one of them is trying to sell you something. Either that or they're trying to put your eyeballs in front of something that will make them money therefore they are not going to tell you hard truths because they know they know that you will run like hell away from it into the arms of something warm and fuzzy something comforting this is dangerous this is dangerous And it's getting more so each and every week. Once again, I got to nothing I intended to get to. Well, yes, I did. That's enough for now. I'm really looking forward to Gustave LeBond, my friends. I hope you are too. There's a lot more. <laughs> That's down the road ways, though. That's just a little taste. You're welcome. <sighs> happy October, happy fall. You're listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast. ChristopherMedia.net, EscapingTheCave.com. Fuck Twitter. Thank you ever so much. We're clicking in. I made a vow. Try to be on a regular schedule throughout the entirety of this month. I was going to mention... I'll do that next time, but my podcast is growing globally like a fungus. In places I wouldn't expect, like Iran? (laughs) China? Korea? Maybe I'll get into that next time. Once again, thanks for clicking in. Till next time, so long. Have a great week.